We're thankful for your word. We want to pray that you bless it tonight so that everyone here, Lord, will be strengthened by it, not by what I have to say, but God, just, just your word. We could just stop right now just from reading your word aloud, God, and you, you can take that and you can accomplish great things. Lord, you don't need us tonight. But Lord, the fact that you want to use us is, is an overwhelming thought sometimes. We praise you for that. But we do want your word to speak in our lives. Draw us closer to you, Lord, through your word. May it be food for our soul tonight. And God, may we be convicted. May we be drawn back to you, God. And if there's anyone here or online that may be struggling tonight with maybe, as David was, a past sin, maybe it's something, God, that they just can't get beyond. Lord, I pray that tonight, Lord, whoever is listening, that they would realize that you are a God who's rich in grace and in mercy. God, you have an abundance of it. And Lord, if we'll have that broken heart and that broken spirit that David writes about and we would confess our sins to you, God, you will forgive us. And Lord, you will, you will cleanse us, God, and you will put us back where we need to be at. Lord, I pray that the person who needs to hear that tonight, God, would hear those words and they would be fruitful, Lord, for you. And Lord, we want to pray this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Now tonight... Uh, again, I'm not going to go back and go through everything we've already talked about. I'll just tell you what we did talk about. In case you weren't here two weeks ago, you won't be. You'll, you'll kind of know where we're, where we're at, where we've been. But if you if you remember and you are here, you remember what we talked about was we kind of looked at verses one through two in Psalms 51, and we talked about the the the, the terms that are to to wash and to cleanse and to blot, which means to erase. We talked about those things. We, we talked about what it means to be cleansed, and uh, we won't go back through all those definitions. And so we kind of talked about that, and we want to kind of pick up tonight in verse 3. So we kind of looked at 1 and 2 two weeks ago. We're going to look at verse 3 tonight. We're going to look at 3 and 4. We're going to jump down to 7 and 8 and, and just kind of hit a few verses as we go along. But here's what I want you to note here as we start off in verse 3. David said, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Now, it was thought by uh, the commentaries that I've read and the, and the people I've read behind and, and the ones that I've studied and try to get a better understanding of Psalms 51. It, it is thought by most that about 12 months probably transpired from the time that the sin with Bathsheba was committed to the time that David wrote this Psalms which would kind of make sense. I mean, if you think about what he's saying here, when he's saying, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. You know, that guilt, if you've ever, if you, you know, if you've ever experienced guilt, and we all have, so if you've ever experienced it, when you're wanting to get rid of that guilt or that guilty conscience that you're suffering from, it is always before you, is it not? I mean, to say that it's always before him means that it was constantly on his thoughts. He, he couldn't escape that thought. He probably, when he laid down at night, his mind was flooded with the death of Uriah at his hand. He did that. And so he probably thought of all those things. You know, the, the fact that the, he lost the child, the fact that he had sinned with Bathsheba the way he did, the way he had sinned against God, and, and on and on and on. And so David is saying that, um, more or less, that he's got a guilty conscience. And, but I want you to note one thing before we move on. And I, and I said this two weeks ago, but I want to say it again. He said, for I acknowledge my transgressions. Notice David's owning. He's not, he's not blaming somebody else. Remember we talked about that. He's not playing the, the, uh, the, the blame game and saying, well, you know, if Bathsheba had not been out there bathing where I could have seen her, 
then I wouldn't have done what I did. No, that he, he can't blame her. Maybe she shouldn't have been where she was at. I don't know. I wasn't there. But if he walked out and saw that, he should have went and walked right back in. He shouldn't have stood there, pondered, lusted, and then went and acquired about who is she. You know, in other words, he did that himself. Nobody else did that. So he's acknowledging. He says, for I acknowledge my transgressions. He says, it's my sin. It's always before me. And then I want you to notice verse 4. I think this is really important tonight. He says, Against you, you only, have I sinned. Now, I'm actually reading a book right now for one of my classes that doesn't use that verse, but it actually talks about that concept, and I'm going to try hard not to get into that, okay? Because if I'm not careful, I'll get off on something, and we may go 20 minutes, so we don't want to do that. Um, but, but I want you to know here, because I do agree with what David said. He said, Against you, you only, have I sinned. Now, when we first look at that, we go, well, hold on now. So David didn't sin against anybody else? Oh, he did. Uh, he sinned against you, Rye. That You know, he, he lusted after another man's wife. He, you know, he sinned, he sinned against Bathsheba. You know, I mean, we could go right on down the list of the things of the people that he hurt with his actions. But from a, from a, uh, a child of God's point of view, anytime we sin, the one person that we sin against more than anybody else is God. Because God expects better from us. Uh, we're, we're to strive to be as holy as we can and to not live in sin. So David nailed it when he said, Against you and you only have I sinned. In other words, he's recognizing that God, I, I sinned against a lot of people. But really, before he can get anything else correct in his life, before he can fix any other relationships, he's got to fix that one first. He's got to fix it between him and God. It's kind of like if I was upset. Let's just say after church tonight, me and Brother Andy, we get in an argument. It's not going to happen, but let's just say for hypothetical situations that it does. Let's say we get in an argument. He makes me mad and I make him mad. And I go home and God whips me over that. Well, I'm going to first need to get that right with, with God. I'm going to have to say, God, you know what? I, I lost my cool tonight. I, I, I let what he said bother me. And really probably what he said, wasn't even, it wasn't even meant to be what I thought. I just, I've, been, I've had a rough day. It's been a long day. I'm tired. You never have those kind of days, do you? Well, you just you come in and you take it out on your husband or your wife or your dog or whoever. You know what I mean? It's just, you, you just, yeah, there's that dog thing again. So Brother Andy's confessing. Is it the dog or the wife? Which one? Don't, no, don't answer that. Okay, or both. Okay. But um, so, so in other words, we let our rough days sometimes bleed over on other people and we take things wrong that was never intended to offend us. But if that happens between he and I and I go home and, and God convicts me and I pray that he would, then I'm going to need to get that fixed. With but before I can fix it with him, I've got to get it right with God. And I've got to say, God, I, you know what? I, I abused my position tonight. I, 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 as a pastor, I shouldn't have acted that way. As a Christian, I shouldn't have acted that way. And I, I definitely shouldn't have spewed off on somebody else, but I did. And I get that right with him. But I would, I would hope that God wouldn't let me sleep until I got it fixed with him. I really, I really would pray that, that God, I want to make that right with him. And then I need to go to him and get that fixed. But I can't fix it with Brother Andy until I got it right with God because if my heart ain't right with God, there's a good chance that I'm not going to want to fix it with him. You get what I'm saying? But when you get right with God, any of those broken relationships or those harmful relationships that you've had, you can't hardly stay like that. You just can't because God convicts us. That's a good thing, okay? That's good to be convicted. We're going to look at that here a little bit more as we move on. John Phillips, he made this comment in, the, in his commentary. He said, David set up a throne, or excuse me, David set upon a throne. He had autocratic power, servants by the hundreds, armies to command. 
He had wealth, he had power and influence. He was a brilliant man, but he could not cope with the consequences of his sin. And so David, in all the power that he had, he found himself in a place with something he could not control or defeat. God had to help him with that. And so as we move on here, look at what it says in verse 7. We're just going to jump from verse 4 right on down into verse 7. Not that there's not good stuff in between 4 and 7, but we just want to go on down to that part. He says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now, to purge something means to rid of whatever, rid, rid yourself or rid something of whatever is impure or undesirable. It means to clean. So when you think about impure or undesirable, David is saying, God, get that undesirable thing out of me. That sin, those things that I did, God, wash me, purge me, get it out. I don't want it there anymore. And, and then he, you know, because he says, and I shall be clean. Now, it may sound crazy tonight for me to say this, but I believe it to be true. This is Vance's opinion. As bad as the sin was that David had committed, David's really in a good place right now. Now, it sounds kind of funny for me to say that. Whoa, whoa, he, he, he's in a good place. As far as a person who's committed sin can be, he's in a great place. What, is it, what, is, what do I mean by that? He didn't like where he was at. As a Christian, if we ever are in a sinful place and we're okay with that, we're not in a good place, okay? Anytime we sin against God or against somebody else, it ought to bother us to the point that we go, you know what, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be here in this place that I'm at. I want to get out of this sin and get right with my God. It's kind of like you think about the prodigal son over there. What did he say when Jesus was telling this story, this parable? What did he say? He said the young man was out there and he realized that his father back home had servants that was living better than he was living. And he was a son. What it boiled down to is he got tired of that sinful life that he was living. He, he, got, he, grew, he grew tired of it. He said, I don't want to slop hogs anymore. I don't want to live in my rags anymore. I, I don't want to stink anymore. I don't want to be dirty anymore. I've had this. I, I've, I've blown all my inheritance. I've lived a life. I've driven the fast camels. I, I, you know, I've, I've went all the... All, yeah. I know. They didn't have fast cars. I had to say something. He drove the fast camels, you know. I wondered if anybody catch that. Thank you, Brother Andy, for making me feel good tonight. Somebody gets my corny jokes. It makes me feel good. My wife don't even laugh anymore. She's just like, I've heard them for, you know, 28 years. But, um, but anyway, he, he drove the fast camels. He, uh, he went to all the, the uh, you know, the, the Jerusalem night spots or whatever. I mean, he, he had done it all. And you know what? But he got sick of that lifestyle. But it was until he got sick of that lifestyle could anything change in his life. He had to get to a place where he goes, you know what? I don't live like this anymore. Because what he was doing was he was sinning against his father too. He was, he was living in a way that his, his dad didn't raise him that way. And for him to even ask for that inheritance was basically looking at his dad and that custom and saying, I'm dead. I want my inheritance. That's what it means. To want the inheritance before your dad has passed away, it means that I'd rather have the inheritance than I'd rather have you, dad. What an insult. And yet, out of all that, until he got tired of being there, nobody could do a thing for him. The dad didn't go looking for him. Now, the dad looked for him every day to come home, but he didn't go look for him because it wouldn't have done any good. He had to want to come back. And so, um, and so that's kind of what we're thinking about here. David got tired of being where David was at. That's a good thing. You and I, if we're going to repent tonight of any of the sin, and this goes for us sitting here, those listening at home, 
if we're ever going to be where we need to be at with God and there's sin in our life, we've got to grow tired of being in that sinful state. We've got to say, you know what, I want to make a change. I'm tired of being here. I don't want to be here anymore. I want to get right with God. David was broken. And so when we think about him broken, being broken tonight, he says, purge me with hyssop. Now, thinking about washing, and this is something I was thinking about this week when I was thinking about this, this scripture. Now, of course, two weeks ago I was thinking about it then as well as I was studying through it. But, you know, there's, there's a couple of things here that we can look at in the washing. But as we look at it in the way it's been used here, He's talking about being cleansed or being washed with a hyssop. Now, we could go back and we could study in Exodus chapter 12. We mentioned that a couple times the other day where the blood was applied above the doorpost there when they were being delivered from Egypt the night that the uh, death angel passed over. Well, hyssop is what they used to dip that in that blood in and to sprinkle it up there. So we think about that. And we, we talked about that, but I'll, I'll talk about it again. Tonight, if you and I are going to be Washed. If we're going to be clean, and I, I think about what David said here, where he says, um, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. There's only one way for us to be that way tonight, and that's to be covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we'll be clean like that, okay? But for that blood to be applied. So tonight, there's the first thing we're going to look at is we need to be, we need to be forgiven of our sins. We need to be saved, meaning that we've got to come to a place through faith in Jesus Christ, we have to recognize that He died on the cross for our sins. That blood that was shed, it's got to be applied to our lives. We've got to ask Him to save us and to forgive us of our sins. Second is this, and I want you to go to John 13 with me. John 13. And this, I'm trying to bring it around to a life application way that you can understand it tonight. And I know you already understand it, but if there's somebody that hasn't, I'm trying to make the connection there. But I want you to notice, because we are, well, I won't go there. I was about to chase a rabbit. But in John 13, I want you to notice what Jesus tells his disciples. Now, this is when he washes their feet. I'm going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to read down to about verse 10, and then we'll jump back over to Psalms 51. It says, uh, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Now, there's a lot of good stuff here that we're not even going to tackle tonight, okay? I, I may come back and preach a sermon on this soon, but this is some good stuff. But we just want to look at the washing aspect tonight. In verse 7 it says, Jesus answered and said to him, What am I doing? Excuse me, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Now, I will say this that this is, um, I don't think Peter was being, you know, we have a tendency to look at Peter and judge him kind of harshly sometimes, I think. Uh, I, honestly, I think I can relate to Peter better than I can anybody. He was mouthy. He said things he shouldn't have said. 
I, that's me, you know. Sometimes he ought to just be quiet and he just, you know, just jabbing on. But when Peter came, I mean, when Jesus came there to wash Peter's feet and Peter was like, oh, you're not washing my feet, you know. We want to judge him a little harshly there and go, well, he told Jesus that? But have you ever had anybody wash your feet? It's a very humbling experience. I mean, it really is. I remember, um, yeah, y'all know Frank, uh, Frank Thomas, but uh, years ago, way back in like 2004, 2005, over with the youth group at Hickox, I had, to, I had to do something else that night in the church. I might have had to lead the adults. I don't remember. Normally I would do the youth, but that night I think I was doing the adults. And so I'd ask Frank to do the youth for me. And he was kind of like my go-to guy. And, uh, of course, he's my brother-in-law, but he's also was like my go-to guy to fill in when I couldn't be there. And so I didn't know what he was leading on that night. But as soon as I finished up, I beat it on over to where the youth were at in the classroom because I wanted to see what was going on. And so I walked in there and sat down, and he was finishing up his devotion on this passage about, you know, what Jesus done and being a servant and washing, and washing each other's feet. But he wasn't really teaching on the washing of the feet so much as he was just about being a servant and, and, and loving others and helping. And he said, so tonight, and I, I didn't know he was doing all this, so I sit down, you know, and I'm, I'm like, this is good stuff. He said, so tonight, he says, and I brought a, a basin, and he set it up there on the table. He says, and, and so I, I'm going to, because I'm the adult and you're the teenagers, I'm going to wash your feet tonight, and, and I want you to experience this. I thought, it's good stuff, you know. And so I'm sitting there. He takes the basin, pours water in it, gets the rag, and you know who he knelt down in front of first? Me. And you know what my first response was? Whoa, what are you doing? You know, that was my first response. I thought it was cool for him to do the, the, the teenagers. But when he couldn't wash my, I said, no, 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 you know, <laughs> like, move on. And he's like, uh-uh, you're first. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I was like, it was very humbling for me to have my brother-in-law wash my feet. I mean, I was uncomfortable. But you know what? After he washed my feet that night, I had a better understanding of this scripture because I thought, I couldn't imagine Jesus kneeling in front of me to wash my feet. That would just... So I can kind of relate to where Peter's coming from. Like, Whoa, Lord, no. But I want you to notice what he told him, and this is the point we want to make. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Of course, then Simon Peter said, Well, I probably would have said too. Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Now, Lord, wash all of me. But verse 10 is what I want you to note here. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed, needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Of course, now verse 11 says, For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. But there's a word here. Now, in, in, I got the New King James Version of my Bible here. And I don't know what version you have, and I don't know what words are used there. But in verse 10, there's a word there. I have the word bathe, and it says, He who is bathed. Okay, uh, the word bathe... If you, and you got the word bathe, you got the word wash. Now, I'm, I'm going to read this to you out of my study Bible because it's, it words it better than I could ever word it tonight for you so you would understand it. I could just say the same thing, but it'd take me 20 minutes to say it. This I can do it in 30 seconds, okay? But here's what these words bathe mean. If you go back and look these words up in the Greek, it gives you a better understanding in the original language where it was written what was being said about the word bathe and the word wash. Now, um, if you have, a, like I say, in the King James Version, and I don't know about any other translation off the top of my head, but in the King James Version, the word bathe is, is the word washed, E-D, is used there. So you've got washed and wash. But if you look them up in the Greek, they're two different words. They're not the same words at all. And so the word washed 
translates into being bathed, but there's the Hebrew or the Greek word is like, I'm trying to think how to spell it. I think it's like L-O-U-L-O-L-U-O-U or something like that. I've, I've looked it up, but I can't, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. But this is what it means. The words washed or bathed, which the word we use here in verse 10 to start off with, start off with in verse 10, and wash, which we find later in that verse. It says, in this verse are translated from two different Greek words. Washed should be rendered bathed, and, um, which is, um, denotes a complete ablution. Wash is from the Greek word, which is the usual New Testament word for washing the hands or feet. So what the footnote's saying here, to help better understand, kind of define this says the underlying imagery is of an oriental returning from the public bath to his house his feet would would require defilement and require cleansing but not his body so the believer is cleansed as far as before the law of all sin once for all we find that in Hebrews chapter 10 he said but needs throughout his earthly life to bring his daily sins to the Father in confession so that he may abide in unbroken fellowship with the Father and with the Son. We can find that in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. It says, The blood of Christ answers forever to all the law could say as to the guilty or the believer's guilt, but he needs constant cleansing from the defilement of sin. So when we think about being washed tonight, okay, as we started off, to be saved, we have to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's for salvation. But when we think about our, our daily lives, it's kind of like I could ask you this where it makes sense. How many of you guys showered last night or took a bath? Okay, why did you do that? I'm sure you took one the day before. You take one every day? Who takes one every day? No, I hope you, everybody does, okay? I hope everybody does. I'm being funny. But, but, but why? Because you, you get dirty. You know, you get dirty. You, you, you sweat. And, uh, you know, when you was a kid, you didn't think you ever needed a bath. But when you get to be an adult, you realize you need these things daily. Why? Because you get dirty. Well, it's no different in our spiritual lives. Okay, once we've been washed, and this is what Jesus is telling Peter, once you've been washed or been bathed or, uh, you know, the washing of your sins, you don't have to continually do that. But as you walk through this life, just like an oriental washing from, walking from the bathhouse, he would get his feet dirty. He would have to wash his feet when he got back. If you walk through this life, if you live your life here, you're going to get dirty. In other words, you're going to sin. We don't strive to sin. We don't brag about sinning, but you do, okay? Uh, as we go back to the story we started off with a while ago, of the example, you have a bad day at work, you come in, you you spill all over your family. Well, you've just kind of sinned because you just offended everybody in your household because you just spewed it out all on them. And now you've got to go back and apologize to everybody. But you also need to get that right with God and say, God, I'm sorry, but I'll let, I'll let the people today that I deal with get the better of me. And I just I took it out on everybody else. And so those are the kind of things. Maybe we have impure thoughts. Maybe we say things we shouldn't say. Maybe we look at something we shouldn't look at. At the end of the day, those things need to be confessed to God. If not, they begin to pile up. And as they begin to pile up, they begin to, to, um, to mess up the fellowship that you have there with, with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. doesn't mean that you have to be resaved. Look, you are saved, but you need to be cleansed. And that's what First John, we, we mentioned a while ago, but 1 John 1.9 says this, John says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful 
and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You've got to understand, when John wrote that in 1 John, he was not writing to lost people. He was writing to the church. He was writing to Christians. And he was saying, look, don't be deceived into thinking you don't sin because you do still sin. And you can't leave that like that. You need to come to the Father on a daily basis. And that's why he says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Now, moving on, make sure I got the right Bible up here. But as we move on, here's what I want you to note in verse 8. Well, we've got to get back to Psalms. I'm still in John. If we look at John 13, 8, we ain't going to get what we want to talk about. But now notice what he says here. He says, uh, after he comes out of the purge me with his ship and wash me, he says in verse 8, Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Now, as I, as I sit and pondered over that this week, he mentions that word joy in a couple of places. He mentions it in verse 8. But then he also mentions in verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Now, sin will rob you. Not only, will it, not only does it defile us, not only does it separate us from God and our fellowship, there are, uh, we still have the relationship, but the fellowship's not good. Sin does that, but sin will also rob you of your joy. I believe David, I believe that's why he wrote that when he was saying of make me hear joy and gladness. Now, David's at a place, if his conscience is ridden with the guilt of what he has done and the sins that he's committed, from personal experience, that joy is not there like he probably wanted it to be. We can't, again, that sin will rob us of these things. And when so David was praying here, he's like, God, give me back that joy. Lord, I, I want to feel that joy that I once felt. I, I, want to feel, I want to feel that you and I are in unison here. I want to be walking with you, God. I want to be right behind you, right in step with you, Lord. I don't want to be doing my own thing. I want to be where you want me to be at. And that's how we should be with our sins tonight. We should get those things right. And, and listen, if our joy is not what it needs to be, it's because we may not be living the way we're supposed to be living. We need to get those things right with God so that that joy could be restored back into our life. And then in verse 9, he says this. He says, hide your face from my sins. Again, he says, blot out all my iniquities. But look at that, hide your face from my sins. Now, that may not mean anything to you, and maybe I'm taking it completely out of context, but I almost see, as I look at this passage, and I've read through this, I wish I knew how many times I've actually read through this in my life, but as I read through this, and I, I read those words, you ever had times in your life when you've done something, and you look back and you can't believe you've done that? I believe that's where David's at. I believe David's sitting there and going, yeah, I look like the king of Israel right now, don't I? Look at me. You know, what, what was I thinking? I mean, he probably, honestly, is he probably sit there. Everybody knows what he's done. Everybody knows where he's at. He's got all this guilt. And I'll, I could just imagine that David almost feels embarrassed in front of God. Oh, he's probably embarrassed in front of a lot of people. But he almost, as you read this, you can almost read this as a man who knows that he is not where he needs to be at. He is broken over what he's done, and he's like, just, God, just hide your face. 
from my sins. I don't even want you to look at it anymore, God. I want it gone. I, I, I'm tired of thinking about it. I'm tired of pondering on it, God. I just, it's one of those deals where um, we know that Scripture teaches us that when we bring our sins before God and ask Him to forgive us, He does that. That's why, that's why uh, John wrote that He is just to, to forgive us of our sins. But have you ever had a time in your life, and maybe 20 years ago, that you did something 20 years ago that still, if it runs through your mind today, you just kind of go, Ugh, and you shake your head and go, what was I thinking? You know, 20 years later, it still pops up from time to time. And what do you normally do? If you ask God to forgive you of your sins, He did that. But if that thought enters your mind, what do you normally do? Lord, I am sorry. Now, God didn't need you to tell Him you were sorry again, but you are. He's already forgiven you of that, but your heart still breaks. Your heart still breaks every time you think about that. Again, I think that's a good thing, you know, that we're bothered by our sins like that. But that's how I see David. David's probably at a place where he's going, God, I am so sorry. He has probably told God he has been sorry probably a hundred times at this point, maybe more, to the Lord, I am so sorry. I cannot believe that I did that. And he's probably going, God, just, just hide your face from my sins. I, I, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. But then notice right here, I want us to look at verses 10 through 13, and this will be what we close with tonight. He says, um, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now, I like that word create and renew. Uh, I got several words highlighted in this chapter, but he says in verse 11, Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Again, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Now, I said we were going to look at 10 through 13, but I want to look at something right here. He's asking here in verse 14, he says, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed because he knew that he had killed Uriah. He says in verse 15, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Now, get verse 16 here and verse 17. He says, For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Now, again, I don't know what translation you're using or not, but that word contrite is a feeling or expressing remorse or penitence affected by guilt. And so I like the fact that David makes his statement here. He's saying, you know, I could do a lot of stuff for you, Lord, but that's really not what you want. You don't want stuff from me, you know. Uh, I think about the passage over there where Saul was told to do a certain thing by God. Remember, he didn't do it. This is where God removed the kingdom of him from being king. He got to reign for a little longer, but God's hand wasn't on him anymore. But he was told to do a certain thing, and he didn't, he didn't obey. But he went and he gathered up all these, these sheep and all the, an oxen to bring back and sacrifice. Samuel comes, and he comes to him, and he goes, What have you done? And he goes, what do you mean? When I've done? I know what God told me to. And he's like, no, you didn't. You did not do what God told you to. He says, and I'm hearing a bunch of animals in, my, in the background that you aren't supposed to bring back. And he's like, but I'm going to offer sacrifices. And remember what Samuel told him? 
He said, God does not delight in sacrifices. He wants your obedience. And I put that in Vance's words. He says, He wants you to be obedient. He wants your heart to be right with Him, not what you can do for Him. And so when you think about that passage tonight, I think if we're not careful today in church, we think we can do enough stuff sometimes to offset the wrong that we do. I mean, really, I think we do. I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I just think that human nature is, okay, I'm not living exactly like I should, so I'll offset it by doing stuff at the church, or I'll offset it by doing this. or I'll, You can't do enough stuff to offset the sin that you're, or you're committing. And don't ever think again, we've talked about this for the last two or three weeks, but no matter how small the sin is that you are committing in your life, please know that God's not okay with it, and it does affect it does affect you, and it affects those around you. So you can't, you can't dabble in sin. And, and as David's saying here, I, I would give you the sacrifice if that was what would make you happy. And I, and I would give you the burnt offerings, he said, but really what you want is you want my spirit to be broken over my sin. He said, you want my heart to be right before you. And that's what God wants from us tonight. I believe that with all my heart. Uh, we don't need to do more stuff for God. God, God doesn't need us to do more stuff in the church tonight. He doesn't. Really, if we're wanting the church to be what it needs to be, uh, we, need to be we need to be broken before God. We need, to be, we need to be willing to be used. We need to be tired of living in sin. We need to be tired of dabbling in that stuff and just say, God, I just want you. My wife asked me a question. I think it was yesterday. And she and I have had these conversations before. But we were discussing something. And, and I don't even remember what we were discussing. Forgive me. But... Um, I don't remember what initially got us started in the conversation, but I remember the conversation ended with this. She said, if God was all you had, would he be enough? Yes. Yes. You know, of course she knew what my answer was going to be, but she knows I need to hear that question from time to time too. I need to be reminded that if God was all I had, would he be enough? Well, he would. I don't need more stuff in this life. I don't need anything, but I need God. Matter of fact, was it, uh, was it 2 Timothy chapter 6? I forget what verse. I want to say verse 6, but I don't think that's right. Where Paul wrote to Timothy, Godliness with contentment is much gain. In other words, if all you guys got and you're content with that, look, there's a lot to be profited there. And so I think that's true for you and I tonight, that it's our broken hearts that God desires. He, he needs us to be broken before him tonight and say, God, you're all I want, you're all I need. But as we, and I'm going to close with this thought here, but as you read this, um, this Psalms, you almost get the idea, and this, again, this is good stuff, but um, you almost get the idea that David's at a place where he's scared that God wasn't going to love him anymore. I mean, that's, just, that's what I read. When I read it, I, I, maybe because I've been there, I don't know, we all have, if we'll be honest with ourselves, we've all been there. And, um, but it's almost like David was, was writing this Psalms going, God, please don't chunk me away. Please don't throw me away. God, don't, please don't abandon me. I am so sorry. Um, he was very much concerned with his relationship at this point as he's writing this psalms. And so I would ask you the question tonight, are you concerned with what God thinks of you? And I jotted that question down for myself this week. If, if I had to be, of all the things that I could be concerned about, what God thinks of me ought to be at the top of that list. It ought to be very first, God, what do you think of me? What do you see when you look at me? Not what they think of me at the church. Not what does my dog think about me. You know, my dog likes me all the time. Even when I mean to, it still likes me. I can't believe that, but it does. Um, not what does my kids think about me or my wife, but what does... I'm not mean to my dog. Quit looking at me like that. So anyway, But what does God think about me? Because 
really, at the end of my life, that's all that's going to matter. Amen? Amen. Nothing else is going to matter. It's not going to matter what my wife thought about me or my kids or my dog. What's going to matter is what did God think about me? What did I do with His Son, Jesus? And if I'm not a Christian, then I need to be. But if I am a Christian, I need to be living like it. I said this 10 minutes ago, but I'm closing with this thought. Again, I don't know who's hearing this tonight that needs to hear it, but, um, but I think sometimes when we find ourselves in a place like David's in right now, we feel like we've, we've, we've messed it up to the point that we are just, we're no good anymore. We're worthless. You know, what could God possibly do with me? And, and, and we let that defeat us. We let that sin beat us. And, uh, and I don't think, I don't think that's what God would have. I really don't. I think that's what the enemy would have. I think he would, because when that sin pops up in your head 20 years later, God didn't bring that up. He did. God didn't bring that up. The Bible says that he threw that sin. When he, listen, that is not a sin that he goes, golly, I didn't see him doing that one. I died for all the other ones, but I didn't die for that one. God died for all of your sins. When you got saved, he was aware of everything that you were ever going to do. Let that one sink in for a second. He knew what you were going to be. If he didn't know what you were going to be, he wouldn't be God. But because he is God, he knows all things. He's not bound by time. That's why he could take John and, and bring him all the way into eternity future and show him what was going to be taking place in heaven and in the tribulation and all those things. Why? Because God's already there. And he was able to show him those things. God is not bound by time. He's in the past, present, and in the future. He has foreknowledge of all of us. He knew what we were going to be, and yet he still loved us. That messes me up. I, I, don't, I can't comprehend that. That somebody like God would know the kind of person that I was going to be and love me anyway. Wow. But that's, so, so I don't think that when that sin pops back into your head 20 years later, that's not God. That's, that's Satan. He's bringing that back up. He's trying to discourage you. God says, no, 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 I can forgive you of that sin, and I can still use you. Matter of fact, when we do fail and we get right back with God like we should, no, it doesn't erase the consequences of our sin, but when we repent and we're truly sorry and we get back right with God, God ought to be able to use us better than He can use anybody else. Why? Because we've experienced the grace and mercy of God. Matter of fact, remember what David said up here? He says, um, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. David's saying, look, I, of all people, understand what it means or what it feels like to be there and now be here. And so if we've been forgiven of our sins, we do too. So what better people to help somebody else who have messed up than those of us who have messed up? Matter of fact, one of my favorite songs um, is um, a Matthew West song. I think it's called Broken Things. Y'all have had to heard it. Come on. Y'all disappoint me. I'm going to pray for y'all. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, y'all, right now Ron's Googling it, okay? He's, I know what he's doing. He's a good sound guy. He is Googling it right now, and when we dismiss in prayer, he's going he's gonna to play it in a moment. And if he does it, he's going to disappoint me, okay? So, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I still like it. But, um, but anyway, and this is what I, I wrote the words down to it. The, the song probably came out four or five years ago. I don't really know how long it was. But he wrote this. He said, The pages of history, they tell me it's true, that it's never the perfect, it's always the ones with the scars that you use. 
It's the rebels and the prodigals. It's the humble and the weak. All the misfit heroes you chose tell me there's hope for sinners like me. He goes on to say in the song, he says, Now I'm just a beggar in the presence of a king. I wish I could bring so much more, but if it's true you use broken things, then here I am, Lord. I'm all yours. And then the last verse there or stanza whatever, I don't remember how he sings it, but he said, Grace is a kingdom with gates open wide. There's seat at the table just waiting for you, so come on inside. Um, that makes me want to preach on Mephibosheth. Y'all know who I'm talking about? Ah, the lame, the lame young man, the son of Jonathan, who got to sit at David's table. Makes me think of the table of grace. That's good stuff. That may be a sermon coming up in the future. I love that. But anyway, but that's the kind of people God wants to use, broken people who take their messes and give it back to God and say, God, I'm sorry, but I want to be used. I want you to use me. Turn my mess and my mistake into something that I can help somebody else with. So tonight, if you're here listening or you're at home listening uh, and, and you're living in sin or maybe, you, maybe you've got beyond that sin but you just feel broken like you can't be used, I'd say you're in a really good place, uh, not defeated, but realizing that God can still use you. If you'll give it to Him, He will do a great and mighty work in your life and He will help you help others who might be going through some of the same things that you're going through. But you've got to give it to God tonight. You've got to give it to God. And we've got to turn from those sins and quit living in them, quit dabbling in them, and be sorry. Not sorry we got caught, but sorry that we sinned against God. I can remember as a kid growing up that my dad caught me doing some things sometimes and my mom... And I'll be honest with you, I tell them I'm sorry. My mom and dad will probably watch this. They know this to be true, though. I tell them I'm sorry, but I really wasn't sorry that I did it. I'm sorry mom and daddy found out. Because I got a whipping, you know? And so later on as I got older, I remember one day when I did something else, and I said, I'm sorry. And I remember my mom and my dad, one, looking at me and saying, sorry, don't fix everything. And what they were really saying is, you're not sorry, but you think this is going to get you out of this, and it's not. We need to be that way as a Christian and not, not sorry we got caught, but sorry that we sinned against our God. Be sorry about that. Be broken about that and strive not to do it again. So I'm going to dismiss us in prayer. Ron's going to play that song. I know he is. He ain't not give me a thumbs up yet. There it is. I knew he was going to do it. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful tonight for just who you are. God, we're, we're thankful, Lord, that you do have an abundance of grace and mercy. And, Lord, if we would just humble ourselves before you tonight, Lord, just as David did in Psalms 51, and, God, be sorry that we sinned against you because, God, ultimately, that is where, that's what we've done. We've sinned against you. Uh, you're a holy God, and as Christians, Lord, we're supposed to be striving to be as holy as we can be. But, Lord, so many times we take our eyes off of what we're supposed to be looking at, and that's you. Lord, we take our eyes off of the fact that there is an eternity coming. And Lord, we get so caught up in this life, we get so busy here that, Lord, we lose focus and we lose sight and we kind of stray. Lord, tonight I pray that if there's somebody listening that's, that's not where they need to be at tonight, and God, I would honestly say that starting with me, Lord, there's nobody here tonight that is right where they need to be at. We all have room that we can improve. We all have room for growth in our walk with you. And so, God, tonight I pray that you would 
You would break our hearts, God, over our sins, and you would draw us back to you. I pray, God, that we'd find ourselves on our knees repenting tonight of our sins, asking you to forgive us, God. And, and, and Lord, if that joy has escaped us, and I know that it probably has if we're, in, if we're living in sin, Lord, we pray that you would restore that joy back into our heart and life tonight. That, Lord, we might live, live the life that you've called us to live that we might share the gospel with those around us, that they might have the joy of Jesus Christ, of knowing him personally. Lord, we just want to pray tonight, Lord, that you'll be with us as we prepare to go home. God, pray that you keep us safe. See us home safely, God. And God, just I pray for a good night's rest tonight. And we, again, we thank you for all your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.